We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America podcast presented by Twisted Tea. I'm Bill Trochi, senior editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our national college football writer at SportingNews.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter at BillBender92. You can follow me at Bill Trochi and keep an eye on the main Sporting News account at Sporting News. Bill, this is a college football podcast, but it's Super Bowl week. Are you excited? Yeah, Are you excited? Up, You're cranking out some, some content for Sporting News? And, uh, you know, we all know I whipped you in the regular season and the bowl season, but we will ask you for your pick, too, for the Super uh, Bowl. Yeah, you know, it is. I got a lot of content coming for Super Bowl week. I mean, obviously, with the Chiefs and the opportunity for them to win back-to-back Super Bowls, I, I enjoy, you know, one of the things I can do, I bet you can't, I can name every Super Bowl winner and loser and MVP in order. Wow. I can still do it. One to 57. So um, I used to win bar bets that way. But, you know, <laughs> it's getting a little harder because it's up to 57 now. So like between 45 to 57, it gets a well, not 45. I'll never forget who won 45, but it gets dicey up in the 50s. Yep. Yep. I'm I'm very good at like NCAA college basketball champions in the 80s. And now like the last 10 or 15 years, I'm a little more cloudy. Uh but uh, I can go through the 80s, no problem. So, all right, well, let's get into it. we got some fun topics. We're going to be joined later uh, by Chrissy Freud, who was at the Senior Bowl all week, watching those guys get ready for the NFL draft. Uh, but before we do, we'll talk a little, uh, some, uh, you know, uh, recruiting. Today is actually signing day. Oh, well, by the way, used to be the biggest day in the calendar. Uh, so signing day and then some transfer QBs and then the Boston College opening. Which brings me to my trivia question centers on the Boston College Eagles. Are you ready? Sure. Trochi Trivia. Boston College has won 10 or more games on uh, three times in its history. Can you name those three coaches? We will answer that at the end of the show. Three times. Are they, are they at least my lifetime? There's not some guy from like the 60s? Your lifetime. Okay, I think I can get it. <laughs> so, all right. So, let's get into it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So today is National Signing Day. Uh, Alabama uh, looks like they're going to hold on to five-star wide receiver Ryan Williams, uh, who's from Alabama. Uh, He decommitted when Nick Saban retired, uh, almost went to Auburn, but then recommitted to Kalen DeBoer. He's expected to sign today, make it official. Uh, But this was big, mostly symbolically, that Kalen DeBoer was able to hold on to a five-star guy in state. Doesn't look great if you know, this abbreviated signing period, you lose a five-star from your home state to Auburn. Oh, and they need impact receivers. That's what this team's missed the last couple of years. Um, you, know, you look at last year, Jermaine Burton, pretty good year, 800 yards, 798 yards, eight touchdowns, average 20 yards per catch. But I don't think people consider Jermaine Burton like the wide receiver they had the room when they had in those national championship years where Devontae Smith was like, the four at one point so yeah it's a huge get and it, it like you said if anything symbolically more than anything to be able to hold on to a top recruit and uh especially when you're keeping them away from auburn i, I still think there's a lot of uh uh you know tre- trepidation along with that but um we'll, we'll see how it goes yeah, and uh, so one guy who was announcing today there was some mystery about uh where he was going to land five star athlete uh terry bussey from he's from texas he plays both wide receiver and corner uh supposedly you know the recruiting guys love him both as a receiver and as a corner five-star level at both uh he was an aggie commit uh but did not sign in december uh was technically technically never announced a decommitment but he didn't sign took some visits after mike elko was hired went to georgia went to lsu came down to a, an LSU-Texas A&M battle. He announced this morning that he will be going to Texas A&M. Uh, so Mike Elko gets a big uh, – this is kind of like DeBoer. He's, he uh, comes in and holds on to a five-star here in February. So that's, uh, that's a good first step for Mike Elko. Yeah, and, you know, they, they talked about Evan Stewart when they got him. Um, and he went – I believe he went to Oregon – you know, when they that gets attention when you get a five star receiver, you got to hold on to them. They've had good receivers roll through Texas AM, but for Mike Elko, again, you know, first year coach, when you can build off a five star recruit. And uh, for Mike Elko, I think the big thing for him is just going to be how buttoned up that program is. You know, it, it got a little loose with Jimbo. Everybody knows that it, it crashed last year. And you know, Mike Elko, if he brings that same no-nonsense approach that he did have at Duke into College Station and can land and develop talent like this, the Aggies are going to be fine. Now, it's interesting. Elko is a defensive coach. Uh, and like I said, the rivals guys say this guy can play either side. And most times when you've got a guy like that, you put him on defense. But he played only wide receiver at the Under Armour game and just got open all week. So... Um, it'd be interesting to see where he goes, what they need, and what Elko wants to do on that one. But a good get for Texas A&M today. And then finally, just wanted to touch on, you know, Alabama and Georgia going to go one-two. I think it's Georgia-Alabama one-two, uh, which is, you know, not a surprise. But Oregon has bumped all the way up to number three uh, with Dan Lanning, you know, being in place for a couple of years and basically telling Texas, telling Alabama that uh, he was not interested uh in i mean texas a&m sorry and not interested in leaving oregon and that has been uh, a boon on the recruiting trail i would imagine are we going to see oregon consistently in the top five not only in recruiting but in you know on the field every year i think the bump of going to the big 10 helps you know that Mm -hmm. was one of the knocks on oregon with chip kelly even you know as talented as they were it was they recruited to a system and it was a unique system. It was awesome with Chip Kelly. I mean, it produced Marcus Mariota, a bunch of high-scoring offenses. But 
if you want to be in that conversation with Georgia and Ohio State and Alabama, which I still think is in that conversation, you have to recruit at a high level. And Oregon, yeah, when I talked to John Jansen earlier this year, he said they're built to come into the Big Ten and compete right away. So, yeah, I, I think this is huge. And he's learned, obviously, from his time in the SEC. This is why everybody liked him so much. And you're you're right that maybe the fact that he's staying at Oregon was a bump. I mean, back-to-back top 10 classes, and he just continues to do a good job. He's got to figure out when to go forward on fourth down. That's his only thing, right? <laughs> well, I mean, again, I'm losing that battle with the youngsters, you know, and saying <laughs> that they're still defending Dan Lanning and still defending Dan Campbell. But and and Lanning's in his 30s, so he, he qualifies right. as a youngster. Well, the Lions aren't playing this weekend. That's all <laughs> I keep saying. So you can defend that fourth down all you want, but they're not playing. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Oregon. And uh, we're talking about transfer quarterbacks. Uh, you and I were talking about, you know, the, the impact guys uh, that are moving all around. And now that the pieces have kind of slowed down a little bit, we want to take a deep breath, check out, uh, you know, uh, I decided I was going to look at the top seven. Uh, I was going to rank the top seven transfer QBs uh, during this cycle, see where everybody is and before we get into the list, the one thing that's interesting to me, I came up with 10, 11, 12 names maybe, and none of them were going to the SEC. Right. So that was very interesting. I don't know if it's coincidence. I don't know if it's a trend. It's just, um, I mean, Brock Vandegrift going from Georgia back up to the starter probably at Kentucky might have been the only real impact transfer in the SEC, which is kind of odd, No. Right. And, you know, they normally it's, it's transfer roulette, but uh, they've had high numbers of transfers in that conference. But I mean, this list of a dozen quarterbacks that you came up with, um, yeah, there's some good ones on here. But again, it doesn't even Will Howard. I don't see a program changer here. And I haven't seen a, you know, everybody's looking for that like Joe Burrow type guy mm-hmm. and Joe Burrow. And it was the second season, as we always bring up. But there isn't there's some guys here that i'm like yeah he'll do well there but i don't know if it's like life-changing any one of the 12 all right so here's my seven number one i rated uh oregon's get of dylan gabriel he's got the highest passer rating in this group 30 touchdowns six interceptions and he averaged over 300 yards a game and of course had that big uh drive against texas at the red river shootout that won the game uh, so I got Gabriel at number one, and I have uh, Will Howard at number two, going to Ohio State. 24 TDs, 10 interceptions, nine rushing touchdowns. Now, my eval of him, I watched a lot of the Missouri game, which they actually lost, but I thought he played awesome in that game. I don't know the numbers in front of me. Uh, you know, he had a great career at Kansas State, had his pick a little bit, um, but uh, those are my top two. You You on board with them? I mean, yeah, that first kind of. I, I would maybe put Riley Leonard in there with mm-hmm. the fit at Notre Dame if Riley Leonard uh, is healthy. But, you know, and I think Riley Leonard and Will Howard are pretty interchangeable. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, I would have one. I agree with that because, you know, he was a guy that was in the conversation for the Heisman. He's dealt with some injuries. He's played a ton of football. If you really look at it, he's he thrown 125 touchdowns in college football over five years. Um 30 and six last year played well. Um, I'm looking right now, a couple 400 yard games in there. And, you know, he's just, he's a really good player. So I would put him on. Then I think it's from there. It's open to interpretation. You know, I'd probably put Riley and Leonard a little ahead of Will Howard with the understanding that Will Howard's going to be set up for success with all the uh, offensive weapons they have at Ohio state. I mean, reportedly Notre Dame agrees with you because they, they could have had Howard, uh, but had more interest in Leonard. And then Leonard, of course, had interest in Notre Dame. That was a quick marriage right off the bat. Howard had to wait a little bit longer because he was not their first choice at Notre Dame. He had a great season in 2022, heard a lot last year. Um, so, yeah, he was my number three guy for sure. And like I said, Notre Dame preferred him to Howard, so who am I to argue, I guess. But um, I have him at three. Cam, Cam Ward at number four. Okay, going from Washington State to Miami, uh, he has the highest yards per game at this in this group, 311 yards per game at Washington State. But it was a lot of the short passes, uh, 
and uh, had some bad games mixed in. His top game was against Oregon State. He went 28 for 34, 404 yards, no uh, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and ran for a TD. But uh, he also had some some duds mixed in. So he was kind of a mixed bag. Next on my list at number five was DJU, uh, who threw the ball threw the ball more downfield at Oregon State after he left Clemson, uh, and he cut down on his sacks. They went from twenty two to eleven with the Beavers, uh, but the the same TD, same interception, same completion percentage went down a little bit uh, of uh, of Cam Ward and DJU. What what because DJU is going to Florida State. Who do you think got the better QB? I mean, it's pretty even. Like you said, I think with DJU, he's played a lot of football, and he's played a lot of high-pressure football. He played at Clemson, and you know, he had Oregon State. He helped elevate them a little bit. And um, funny thing is, these guys play on October 26th. We'll probably get our answer there. You know, I've always <laughs> said about Cam Ward, and we did a few feature on him a few years ago when he was playing at Incarnate Ward, was um, – he did that without a running game last year. So like you said, there were a couple clunkers in there, but there were a couple like 450 yard games. They couldn't run the ball. They were one of the worst teams in the FBS at running the football. If he gets a little bit of a run game behind him, I think he can make some plays, but I would probably take DJU over him by a little bit. I just think he's played a lot. The tools are there. The five-star talent factor. It's just, it hasn't completely clicked for him. And this is his third school. So I think he's the guy, much like when we talked to Chrissy here in a little bit about Spencer Rattler is, I mean, the five, when you have a five-star talent and he hasn't like blown that, it's just on him to take the next step. Yeah. I was surprised his numbers were so similar from Clemson to Oregon State because the narrative was kind of like he was terrible at Clemson. They had to get rid of him. He wasn't going to win the job. Kate Klubnick was going to get it. And he went to Oregon State, and like everything was different, and he was doing great. And it turned out the numbers were basically the same, which I thought was interesting. And my last two guys on the list are KJ Jefferson, who's going from Arkansas to UCF, played at five years at Arkansas, but of course has the COVID and the red shirts. So he's getting a sixth year. Uh, for him, everything went down from his uh, fourth year to his fifth year. Uh, his his sacks went up to 42. That was not good. He only had 19 touchdowns. Completion percentage went down. So KJ Jefferson, I mean, you were really high on him before last year. Looked like he was really rolling, and it was set for a big season. Didn't happen uh, at Arkansas. We'll see if if Gus Malzahn can get him going at UCF. And then my seventh quarterback on the list, Kyle McCord, going from Ohio State to Syracuse. Of course, you know, put up pretty good numbers at Ohio State. They won comfortably most of the season. You wondered if it was just the talent around him or if he was actually the reason that they were winning. We'll kind of find out at Syracuse. He's not going to have the same talent around him there for sure. So I have him at number seven in my my top seven here. Yeah, I have the same seven as you. I mean, I I would make a case for – Grayson McCall in there because he's played so much football. He's very similar to these guys. Um, also, his parents are my college roommate's neighbor at randomly in North I'm Carolina. This was kind of a so my college roommate was telling me about seeing Grayson McCall in uh, high school and obviously Charlotte, you know, ben, right? Yeah, Ben. Yeah, Ben's Ben's dad is Jim Grobe and he coached at Wake Forest and he was telling me now nah, I got to be an NC State fan for a year unfortunately but uh <laughs> he really likes Grayson and the family so I'm hoping he does well um yeah KJ is interesting to me because I, I've always been high on him but it didn't take off last year with Bobby Petrino I was a little surprised by that uh some of it may be that he's just played there forever and he doesn't throw interceptions though that's the one thing I always look at at quarterbacks is you know all that football that he's played 67 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. And Gus Malzahn's offense, he could be a hit. Um, And then McCord, we've talked about at length. I mean, new coach, new culture, perfect transition quarterback because he's played a lot of football um, and uh, played well last year. I I think the narrative on him, unfortunately, when you lose to Michigan at Ohio State, that becomes the narrative on you. And by the way, C.J. Stroud lost twice to Michigan. He did just fine afterwards. (laughs) So, um and he continues to do just fine. But, um, yeah, I, those would be the seven. You, you had a couple other guys here uh, listed that didn't quite make it. Will Rogers, Max Johnson, veteran quarterback, played a lot of football. 
a good fit at North Carolina. And then Daquan Finn, for those who haven't watched the Mac, he tore up the Mac the last couple of years. But uh, he's got to stay healthy. There you go. And where is he now? Baylor. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, that'll be one to watch. Um, all right. Now, back to BC. They are looking for a head coach, of course. Jeff Halfley headed to the NFL, defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he uh, he was at BC for four years, hovered around 500 every year pretty much. Uh, now they have an opening, and the reports are Bill O'Brien, who was a former offensive coordinator of the Patriots, among many other high-level uh, credentials. We've gone over his credentials, his resume when he was hired as offensive coordinator at Ohio State about a month ago, and now he seems to be in the running. I guess uh, one of his sons is a pitcher at Tufts in Massachusetts. So that's uh, could be a factor for him. Um, first, you know, thoughts on leaving a job after a month, uh, and where does that leave Ohio State if he does that? That's interesting. I, but Ryan Day spoke this morning uh, and said uh, Bill is still in the office working. Uh, he said had no other comment beyond that. But uh, it appears that he is definitely uh, interviewing with. Uh, with Ohio State. I mean, sorry, with Boston College. It's a business. So, like, if he leaves, I don't see it as a big deal. I mean, Ohio State would probably go back to the arrangement they had last season. Ryan Day will stay involved and call plays. And um, Brian Hartline will be involved. And Bill O'Brien will go to Boston, where he fits and has a head coaching opportunity. So, I mean, I think there's a high level of professionalism there. And, you know, you want your coaches to have opportunities. It's It'd be weird because Halfley obviously was Ohio state assistant before he went to BC. So they just keep going down that, uh, well, so to speak. And I, you know, I think he'd be a great fit there. Bill O'Brien, uh, you, you mentioned the, the trivia question. I know two of them. I'm blanking on the third one right now, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's hard to win there. That's a hard program to win 10 games at. So, I mean, if, if Bill O'Brien went there and was in that eight and five, nine and four range consistently, he'd be all right. Other candidates that have been linked to the job, Paul Christ, who is an offensive analyst at Texas, uh, Army's Jeff Monken, uh, potentially. He is 70 and 55 at Army. Uh, and then um, Jason Candle, Toledo. I saw his name pop up as well. Any of those jump out to you as a good fit? Monkid's interesting, um, but they would have to change the way they play, and I don't know that they do that. I always kind of looked at Boston College as kind of like Iowa would be my comparison. Like they play a very pro style type game. You know, they always have. They produce some pretty good NFL players, but they're not going. I don't see them going to like an option attack and making that radical change to try to win a couple extra games in the ACC. Paul Christ would be interesting. Again, another no-nonsense guy, won football games if he wants to get back into coaching. Did a nice job at Wisconsin. It just got – the recruiting was what got him there. And, and here it is. And Mike DeCourcy wrote about this for us, and we can get into this with the next guy you want to talk about, but I just think this is a hard place to win because in Boston – I mean, you're a Boston guy. That what are that what page of the when we used to do newspapers? I guess what page are they on? Like deep, seven deep. So they're not one, two, or three, and they're not on the agate page that we used to. I used to design way back in the day. Um, <laughs> they're at least page five, and that's that's part of being in the big city. So I think it's hard to to generate excitement and win there unless you have something truly special. They have gone to seventeen bowls this century. Right. But it's they always win between six and eight games, basically. They just kind of hover around there. Um, and then we can get back to the trivia question um, uh, in a minute. But, um, yeah, what do you think about Candle? I mean, could, do you think he would jump from the Mac? I think he would, right? I mean, his his name bounces around a lot. and uh, But he always seems to to stay put. But he's got incredible credentials right now. Yeah, he's – and, you know, I – sat in his office several years ago, did a feature on one of his quarterbacks, and he's just been steady in the Mac. And there was a little downturn there, but for them, won 11 games twice. They're coming off back-to-back -back Mac championship appearances. A uh, little bit of jealousy for me because they've actually won some Mac titles, and I've got some good friends that work up at the Blade 
Um, Dave Briggs and Kyle Rowland, they do a nice job up there. And yeah, but if he was interested, I think not only for this job, but for the Ohio State offensive coordinator job. So, I mean, his name's popped mm. up for both. Yes, you're right. So, yep. And that would shake up a couple things because he's very, he's still young. His, his stock is still good. And I think for him, he was teammates with Matt Campbell, obviously. I think you got to be careful there because your stock is what it is, right? Now, if he wants to be at Toledo for five more years, yeah. But, I mean, he's still a young guy. He's only 44 years old. Mm-hmm. That would continue the, old, the the trend of the G5 to a P5 coordinator. And uh, the other trend we're seeing, of course, is – or I don't know if it's a trend necessarily, but the, the Power 5 head coach going to be a coordinator – in the NFL, that's something it appears Chip Kelly is pursuing. He is reportedly interviewed with the Raiders and the Seahawks. So he is not content, it appears, at UCLA. Held on to his job towards the end of last season. He was a little bit on the hot seat. Uh, you know, he's been outspoken about the future of college football, you know, making everybody D1. Let all the other sports go back to their conferences, break football away. He's even said make everybody independent. Um, and you know, he doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but it appears that he, you know, he's thought about it a lot. And now it's interesting to see him interviewing for these coordinator positions. Does he enter next year on the hot seat a little bit? Is he trying to, you know, get ahead of the posse, so to speak? And and uh you know, his competition level is going to go up in the Big Ten. Uh, but I don't know that UCLA has the appetite for the for the buyout and all that, but maybe they do a little bit more with the Big Ten money flowing in. Yeah, and I, I everything he said was correct, in my opinion. I, I share, like, my vision for what college football should be if we're going to do it this way pretty aligned with his um, makes a lot of sense. I think like Jim Harbaugh, he might just be getting tired and everything I said about Boston, same thing about Los Angeles. It's hard to win at UCLA. It's a very difficult program because it's not the glamor program that USC is. It never has been. I think more people nationally care about USC than UCLA. Uh, basketball's different, obviously. Uh, and there's, Shohei and there's the Lakers and there's Jim Harbaugh now. I mean, you're literally the Chargers will be cooler than UCLA football. And all of those things are at work. Plus, yeah, maybe he wants to get back in the NFL game because like Harbaugh, like Halfley, there are cases where, yeah, I would rather do that than do all of the things necessary to win in college football today. I still think college football needs to hire GMs. If at these programs that are serious, like you need a general manager so the football coach can actually coach. And I think that's something that's going to continue to pop up over the next few years. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at And the Power Five program should be able to afford a general manager, right? I mean, they have right. all these staffers. You go to their page on their website and you're looking for the media relations <laughs> department and you're scrolling through 60, 70, 80 names just in right. the football department. So they do have the numbers for a general manager. And you're right. You got to re-recruit your roster every year, which is difficult. Not only you're, you're recruiting high school kids, you're recruiting transfer kids, and then you're recruiting your own kids back. So very difficult roster management situation in college football, as everybody knows. Mike DeCourcy here at Sporting News wrote a column kind of pushing back on the narrative that 
these coaches are, you know, like Halfley was the example, you know, Kirk Herbstreit was pretty outspoken that the state of the college game is driving these guys to the NFL kind of thing. And he didn't uh, necessarily feel like that's the case. Um, he just said, look, he took a better job, you know, and if you want to, maybe he wants to be an NFL head coach someday. And if the Green Bay Packers get to the Super Bowl next year's NFL coaching roulette, he will get some interviews. And uh, so I thought that was a good point, too. So, you know, do you agree with Mike pushing back a little bit on the Herb Street narrative? Uh, 50-50. I think some of it is, yeah, I don't want to recruit and fundraise and re-recruit and do all these things. And some coaches just aren't cut out for that. But there will always be people that want to coach for $7 million and $5 million a year. They'll find people to coach college football, even if that, that want to. And I do agree with Mike's point. It is a better job. I think Green Bay's defensive coordinator, maybe not security-wise, because I've watched Joe Barry and Mike Pettin and other Packers defensive coordinators since Dom Capers. And that is a tough job because as a Packers fan, we target the defensive coordinator. He's probably one of the first three targets when the Packers lose. <laughs> and especially with the quarterbacks that they've had over the years. So it's not an easy job, but I think Jeff Halfley will do fine there. I hope he does. Um, and yeah, so Mike, I, I agree with him on some points, but I do think there's something to some of these guys just might not want to coach college football anymore because of the environment it is. But you're always going to have guys that want to coach, especially when that much money's involved. Yeah, and I thought, um, speaking of like the calendar and everybody like, uh, Ari Wasserman talked to a lot of people for a story at the athletic this week about the calendar and the, you know, it's more almost on the staffers themselves, the recruiting staffers and all that, who, uh, you know, de December, I mean, it's universal. December is not tenable right now. Everybody works every day. You know, you, you, you just, there's too many things on the plate right now. It was group of five, staffers it was power five staffers it was successful programs unsuccessful programs everybody is unanimous in that the calendar has to change in december one thing i guess it's going to be the signing day situation right that's about the only one that's an easy fix i don't think the transfer window is an easy fix it has to be right. after the season you have to do it before the second semester starts for these guys so that's always going to be in december i think the Coaching carousel is obviously always going to be in December. The one thing you can kind of pull out is the recruiting, you know, the signing day, the, the, the early signing day in December. One option is to make one in August and one in February, similar to college basketball, where they have a November and an April before the season and after the season. Um, the other option is to just go back the way it was, only in February. Would you be in favor of an August – signing period i know classes like notre dame they always seem to have their guys almost all locked up in the summertime and they have very few recruits and they could just wrap it up turn their attention to the next season um i like the idea of august and february uh for some guys to hold on to their their scholarship through their senior year i mean their offer or whatever um are you in favor of an august signing period yes yes because then the kid that that's playing can enjoy their senior season of college or high school football, which I don't know why we're in such a, I know why you know, we're in such a hurry to get these kids on campus, but either one or the other, like I can see that one. That's what I would do, but I'm still, why do we, you know, with freshmen, they want to get on campus earlier. They want to get those NIL opportunities. The calendar has been pushed. You're seeing, I mean, it's isolated incidents, but you're seeing guys not play their senior year. And Sonny Styles, like Quinn Ewers, guys like that, like they reclassify and maybe not play their senior year. And that's going to happen. I think it should have that can happen with the truly special five star athlete. But when that starts happening with two star guys, it's going to have an impact on high school football. So, yeah, I would start with August. They can get that done and they don't have to worry about that while they're playing and, and go from there. That would be the easiest fix for me because I don't think we are going to not regress, but move back toward a situation where most of the recruits are going to wait till February to sign. I just can't see us going backward. One interesting proposal I heard was letting them sign when they want to sign. 
So when they're ready to sign, you sign. Takes away all of these BS offers that aren't really offers because you're not going to offer a kid that you don't think can play there. And so that like had my mind swimming a little bit to see like, what would it be like if, you know, you really have to be choosy as to who you send that letter of intent to and, you know, do the kids sit on it? Do they wait for other offers or whatever? Like, and then like, you know, um, it's October. I'm ready. I know if I'm November, it's November, you know, um, or you can wait all the way to February if you want. I mean, that would probably drive the coaches crazy, but boy, it would be fun to follow. wouldn't it? I would rather watch that, honestly. And it would make people, recruits, coaches make better decisions. Right. Less lying on the recruiting trail. I'm not, that's not the worst idea. That would be that would be interesting. So, all right, final segment of our show. We want to bring in Chrissy Freud from Sporting News. Let me add her to the room. Chrissy, here you are. Welcome in. Uh, Chrissy spent last week. She's a content producer at Sporting News with college football background. She was uh, worked with us throughout the fall this year, and she spent last week in Mobile. With some NFL draft hopefuls. You've been in Mobile before. Chrissy, how was the week? It was good. Really busy and exhausting like it always is. Um, but it goes by so fast at the same time. So it's it's one of my favorite experiences every year work-wise. Now you you've covered Mississippi State. You knew Mike Leach. You you got a you know a lot of uh you know the tricks of the trade from the quarterbacks situations. Uh, all across, you know, college, the NFL, things like that. But uh, before we get into the QBs, the guy that seemed to get a lot of headlines down in Mobile, Toledo corner, Quinion Mitchell. Uh, everybody seemed to think he was definitely a first-round guy, best defensive player of the week at the Senior Bowl. Did you see the same thing everyone else was talking about? Yeah, a lot of good moves, a lot of good plays. Um, I think that there was some good defensive play overall in the Senior Bowl. Um, Nathaniel Watson out of Mississippi State was another guy that I thought really impressed and certainly made the most of his um, in-game opportunity. But yeah, no, I think that he was one of the guys who certainly raised his draft stock. Um, there are several guys who did that and some guys that I think kind of almost hurt themselves by going there, but definitely a standout performance from him. Chrissy, um, Roman Wilson early in the week, saw a lot of film on him. I know you like JJ McCarthy. I know we both do. Um, I know we both got our championship pick right. Unlike Bill. We picked Michigan to win. Let's just since he likes to remind me that he won the bull competition. That's like, right. Letting you know that we got this right. Um, 12 touchdowns on 48 catches. Uh, got some rave reviews, some big comparisons for NFL receivers. I mean, what'd you see out of Roman Wilson this week? A lot of good things. I think that he had a good postseason run. I think that this shouldn't have come um, as much of a surprise. I thought there was a lot of good things highlighted within the wide receivers group. Another guy that I personally really liked was Luke McCaffrey um, out of Rice University. I mean, I think that he's really a versatile guy, um, has emerged well as a pass catcher, and then can do it all blocking, all the other stuff too. Um, but it was it was really fun to watch, especially with all the opt-outs um, on game day. I think the national team had like three wide receivers take the field, so I think that was – uh, just kind of an interesting storyline to follow because it makes you wonder like moving forward is the senior bowl and the shrine bowl going to become kind of like the pro bowl ish. Like are we going to start seeing a lot of guys that are participating in practice week and then not taking the field during the game. And how is that going to affect if they have like alternates, if we have like a whole team full of like starters and backups, stuff like that. Certainly it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I saw that. It was with like 25 opt-outs for the game, right? So, I mean. It was more than that. Uh, the national team lost roughly half their roster. I've yeah. never seen. I've been covering the Senior Bowl in person for about seven years. I've never seen anything like that in my life. So, how did the game itself look with the slimmed down roster? Like, what are the, co the coaches scrambling? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you had Sam Hartman taking almost every single snap for the national team while the other people, I mean, the other team was rotating their guys in and out and then national team didn't have, I mean, there were, there were opt-outs in the American team. That information I was not able to obtain um, because of the source I got it from had only been in the locker room um, of the, um, of the national team. So yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting though. I mean, you had a lot of guys that, I mean, I, I think that they probably opted out to avoid injury, but then they put those other guys at so much higher of a risk for injury. So it was just, it was a really weird thing to see. Now you well, talked to Bo Nix a little bit, uh, one-on-one. -on -one. What did he have to say this week? 
Yeah, um, I think he just let, like the other guys focused on going there and getting better and kind of just just working on things, adapting to a new offense and showing that he can still be Bo Nix and this other thing. I mean, this is kind of what these showcases are about is like how good are you when you're thrown to the wolves in an offense that you haven't played in before with a bunch of guys that you don't know. And it's a, a lot of trial and error. But um, one thing that Bo Nix and I talked about was kind of, I asked him quite directly about the narrative that surrounds him, that he's just a check it down quarterback who can't do anything else outside of that. He's just a game manager, yada, yada, yada. But like the thing about it is um, what he said to me at least is like, I have a 78% completion rate. They've got to say something about it, which is why this narrative keeps popping up and why there's an issue, which I think is true. Um, I think that Bo Nix is capable of a lot more than, than he's done. I mean, one of the best cases I know that Bender mentioned JJ McCarthy earlier, it's, it's all this stuff with quarterbacks is about what the coaches are asking them to do. I mean, there's, a lot of coaches are asking their quarterbacks to manage the game. It happened to Brock Purdy too. He's uh happens to be going to Super Bowl this weekend. If anyone wants to go watch that, um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that he's asked in that offense to check it down quite frequently. But I think he's capable of more. And JJ McCarthy, the first thing I think about him, um, even though a lot of people have also pinned him as a game manager, is his mobility and the way that he uses it and his arm strength and all the traits that he brings to the table. It's just that we don't see those on display super often. Um, because of the offense that he was in at Michigan. But that does not mean the quarterback is not capable of that. And I think that a lot of people are going to be pre- uh, pleasantly surprised by Bo Nix at the NFL level. And then also we're kind of in this era where everyone likes all these flashy traits and quarterbacks. But at the end of the day, you don't have a quarterback until you have a game manager at the base of it. Um, and so I think that he projects as a high floor prospect and that you, at the end of the day that you want something that is a high floor prospect uh, first and foremost. Yeah, and – I'm going to take a quick detour because you've had really good insight on Brock Purdy in general, dating back to when he played. And as something you and I agreed on was, you know, he's facing at San Francisco what he did at Iowa State because he had good running backs. He had Montgomery, he had Brees Hall. I mean, could you uh, tell us a little bit about those conversations you have with Brock and why it's not a surprise to you he's doing what he's doing at the NFL level? Yeah, the, the the main thing that I look at when it comes to quarterbacks is lower body mechanics and how that's the accuracy is directly derived from that. So how sound a quarterback is mechanically should be the most important thing you're looking at in the evaluation process. It's not the flashiest thing. It's not the most fun thing to talk about. But every time that I've started with that and focused on that um, before anything else, it tends to have worked out for me. And I thought that his were some of the best in that draft class. Um, so it was very very accurate. I mean, he doesn't bring a lot of other things to the table, but he brings everything to the table that a quarterback should be. Um, I also think that he can put the ball on a rope a lot better than a lot of people think that he can. And a lot of that comes from um, that, that false narrative derives from the fact that they had um, Brees Hall at Iowa state, who was so good that you kind of catered the offense to him. It's the same thing with Michael Pratt and Tajay Spears from like two years ago. I mean, when you have a player that's of that talent that can do all those things, you're going to cater to them more often. And therefore the quarterback's not going to be asked to throw a deep as often. So can Brock Purdy do those things? Yes, he can. Um, but he did tell me that those, I mean, the offense itself is very much adapted to Brees Hall and utilizing Brees Hall the best way possible, which was in the Cyclones best interest. So I think it kind of, but it did paint this picture of Brock Purdy as kind of a guy that was just kind of managing the game. And um, he caught some flack for that. So entering the week, all right, Bo Nix and Michael Penix were the two big names. There's tons of tape on those guys. They weren't really going to probably move their needle one way or the other, you wouldn't think, uh, in a week at the Senior Bowl. But a guy that did move the needle seemingly was Spencer Rattler. Uh, What did you see out of him, and uh, do you think he boosted his stock? Absolutely. I think that Spencer Rattler has risen at least one round um, as far as where he's being projected right now. And the best, the, the best way to put it, in my opinion, is the fact that Spencer Rattler looked like Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. Again, the guy that we thought was going to be a number one overall draft pick. But the thing is, it's like it's almost like the guy is cursed at, at South Carolina. He did not have adequate pass protection, didn't have um, the the right supporting cast around him. And the first day that I was charting practice at the senior bowl was kind of funny because I mean, all these guys were like dropping passes. I think I charted like six incompletions that were not Spencer Rattler's fault. Um, which seems to just be the narrative that's surrounding him lately is just all these things are going wrong and they're not his fault. But if you take time to look at Spencer Rattler and Spencer Rattler's game and the way that he's played um, as of late and looked at the senior bowl, you see a quarterback who's really good. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to how he transitions to the NFL. And I think that he's got his feet back under him. Um, and I think that he's he's confident. We kind of talked a little bit about how it's it's kind of weird how 
Um, he came from an offense, had a lot of air raid elements in it at Oklahoma, and then went to more of a pro style at South Carolina and found that he performed better in the pro style system than the air raid, which technically is a little bit better um, as far as transitioning the NFL, because they obviously are going to run the pro style offense. But it, it is interesting how there are some quarterbacks that you'd think just like at, at first glance, like this is an easier scheme. They'd be really successful in that, but then some of them do better in the in the pro style, which I found with him. What is the biggest misconception with Rattler? Because I think there's this narrative that he's a hothead or, you know, dating back. And when I spoke with him, when he went to South Carolina, it was, no, he sounded pretty normal. He, you know, pretty confident kid that's been in front of the camera a very long time. I mean, do you see that same misconception with him? I see a quarterback that could be pretty streaky in the NFL. He'd get on a couple heaters and he could have some rough moments, but he certainly has that talent. Yeah, the, the the consistency um can be can be lacking from time to time. The funniest thing to me about the senior bowl is that apparently I it may have been Mel Kuyper, I can't remember who who started this, but um me and Spencer had a one-on-one arranged far before this. And so I met him in um the the media room and I just introduced like introduced myself to him and said like, hey, we're gonna go down this do this interview later on. But apparently it looked like to other people that I had big dog Spencer Rattler and that he had come up to me and asked to be interviewed. And I said, no, we were actually just like working out um, the logistics, which I thought was really funny. But as far as the narrative goes about him, like there's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about like Spencer Rattler's intangibles and how he is as a person. Um, I remember whenever I first started covering Spencer Rattler, there were a lot of people talking about how he was like super arrogant and conduct himself well around people. Um, but I found him to be super professional and super respectful. So I think as far as that narrative goes, which seems to have died down over the course of the past year or so, I think that's completely, um, completely false. That is a very pleasant person to be around that conducted himself very well around both reporters and the teammates and coaches around him. All right. Well, good report. From Mobile. Thank you, Chrissy, for that. Uh, Bender, before we get out of here, let's get back to the Trochi trivia question. Maybe Chrissy can help you out. If you can't <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. So I give Bender a Trochi trivia question every week at the beginning of the show, and then we come back at the end, and we try to see if he can get it. He usually does. Uh, this, way, this week, Boston College has won 10 or more games three times in its history. Can you name the three coaches of those teams? Well, I Bender. Have- I have no idea on this. She one. has no idea. Bender, you're on your own. I can, but it, it took some like thinking, critical thinking. I mean, Jack Bicknell's one. With Jack Flutie. Bicknell, 1984, with Doug Flutie, a quarterback. I feel like Jags did with Matt Ryan. Jeff Jagosinski in 2007. We were, the only reason I got that is he worked with the Packers. And then it's either, it's probably. It's either Tom O'Brien or Tom Coughlin. Or is that his name? Tom O'Brien, the guy that coached NC State? Tom O'Brien and Tom Coughlin. It is one of those two. You are correct. It's one of those two, but uh, you got to figure out which one. I almost called him Jim O'Brien, who coached Ohio State basketball, and maybe doing that again here in a few weeks if they don't start winning some games. But um, so I got it right. He also coached at BC. Jim O'Brien did too. Yes. So, yeah, all these Ohio State guys going to BC and back and forth. So, uh, there we go. I, I got that one right. Well, no, I said you didn't pick O'Brien or Coughlin. Which one? It's Jags. Probably. Bicknell, I think who, you gave who, it away. I think it's O'Brien. 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 Yes. 2006. Also with Matt Ryan, a quarterback. Tom Coughlin was probably close. Close, but didn't get it. You are correct. <laughs> And so. technically, Tom O'Brien was nine and three and left before the bowl game, but they won the bowl game for the tenth win. So he he left for NC State after that. So, well, good job, Bender. That was a tough question. There we go. You nailed it. Um, so thank oh, you to Chrissy. Chrissy's Super Bowl prediction too, because if we got the title game right, we've got to get the Super Bowl game as right. So that's right. What's your Super Bowl prediction, Chrissy? Yes. Uh, 49ers, 65, Chiefs, zero. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I say the 49ers by a touchdown. Brock Purdy. She <laughs> believes. She believes. I put the Chiefs 30 to 24 and have an article have coming a, this week about my the Swifty factor. Oh, I have, with, to go uh, get, I have to go get something to, to okay. show y'all. Give me okay. <laughs> you can edit that out. That's fine. Um, no, I, I, I picked the Chiefs 30 to 24, Bill, so... Okay. I think we have a we have a 49ers pick, a Chiefs pick, 
the Brock Purdy pick. There she is. There she is. She didn't get Chrissy didn't get caught up in the Swifty factor like my household did with my daughter, who we have an article about that this week. But like I said, like here's my thing. Uh, and kind of the point of the article is my daughter watched football as a novelty, probably because everybody in the house was doing it. You know, my wife's a huge Cowboys fan. She's legit. Watch it all the time person. And my daughter's starting to wa actually watch it now and not just watching it. to. And it makes me very happy as a father. And rather that's because Taylor Swift's on the TV for five seconds. That's fine. But <laughs> she's definitely rooting for the Chiefs. And I, I don't know what to do with that i'm just like that's fine you know as long as we're watching the game i do think chiefs are going to win i think their defense is the difference um but it's going to be fun and if they can run the ball a little bit on the niners and win third down and i just can't pick against mahomes chrissy i'm sorry he just doesn't lose he doesn't lose playoff games 14 and 3 did you get your daughter a kelsey jersey for christmas no that's the that's in my article we haven't got that but the the two fads in my daughter's class fourth graders it's taylor swift and stanley water cups water bottle things it's it's don't ask don't I know. About the, no i heard about that trend i saw it so anyway. i i when i had a water bottle as a kid it was from like the icy from the hills department store and if you chewed on the straw too bad like that's <laughs> that what i grew it? up with <laughs> you so the, the times have changed. Very good. All right. Well, Chrissy, thanks for hopping in and giving us the lowdown from Mobile. Uh, thank you to everyone else for uh, listening to the CFB Nation All-America podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you to Irish Breakdown, your source for Notre Dame football information. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you soon.